Hello and welcome to another podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and today my guest is from the Bonabonabee Cree Nation in northern Manitoba. Many of the stories on Roots and Hoots are related to the impacts of residential schools. This is one of them, and it's a tragic story about eight students who died in a plane crash on their way home in June of 1972. The plane the students were on crashed at the end of the runway just after takeoff in Winnipeg, Manitoba. There were no survivors. It was reported that engine failure was the main cause of the crash. My guest today is Tommy Wienes, a colleague and friend of the students, but fortunately for him, he had left school earlier that year to return home. Tommy will be speaking to us in both English and Cree. Tommy is a former counselor, and he's also a former chief who was a chief for his community for four years. He's been a manager. He's been a training and employment coordinator. I believe he's also a survivor of the residential school system. Uh, we're going to talk about an incident that happened in Winnipeg. But first of all, uh, let me welcome Tommy Wienesk from the Bonabonabee Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. Hello, Tommy. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you very much, Gordon. Thank you for having me on your show today. <clears throat> when the uh, residential schools uh, were in operation, many of them were reaching capacity. So they had to, Indian Affairs had to uh, find other places for students to live. And one of the alternatives was to place students in private homes in, uh, in the towns that they were, where the residential school was. This group of students from Oxford House, also known as uh, the traditional name is Banabanibi, they were attending school in Stonewall, which is just north of Winnipeg. It was June 25th in 1972 when seven students boarded a flight home from Winnipeg on their way home for the summer after attending school in uh, Stonewall. Manitoba. There was uh, the seven students and a pilot on board this airplane that took off from Winnipeg. Unfortunately, the airplane crashed at the end of the runway in a residential neighborhood. All people on that flight died at the scene. The airplane crashed upon leaving Winnipeg. It's quite possible that the plane had engine problems. Not far from the end of the runway is where the crash happened. The plane had taken off on a flight to Oxford House in northern Manitoba. The seven students were returning home after a year of high school in Stonewall. Tommy Wienes, my guest, had been a classmate with these students, but had returned home earlier. He's my guest today, and he's going to talk a bit about this incident. Before I go right deep into it, I just want to inform everybody that this... uh, incident, unfortunate incident, was uh, known as uh, the darkest day of the community, and it's still known as such. There is still one parent alive today out of all the students that perished in that crash. I'll start off by uh, going back to 1969, the spring of 1969. Indian Affairs showed up here, Indian Affairs from the Education Department, students, also the parents, and also the community. They have uh, something that uh, they want to try out in terms of taking the students out down south 
for, for further education. They told us that they, they wanted to get away from, uh, not, not really get away, but do something different other than the, the traditional uh, student residence thing. Uh, it was going to be uh, a new town, and they told us it was going to be Stonewall, Manitoba, and that we would go there and that we would be living in private houses, more like boarding with, with families. They wanted to try this out with Oxford House, and uh, our parents um, agreed. So that fall, 1969, we, we all we left to go to school there. In a general way, how life was for us over there, uh, it, it, it was, a lot was dependent on, on, on who you were staying with. Like myself, I, uh, I was very lucky. I, I stayed with a family that I'm still with today. I still wow. see them today. Wow. I still talk to them. Uh, we text back and forth today. But anyways, uh, it was it was uh, most of us were had families like that. But some there were some that that didn't really fit into specific families that they wanted. The following year, they they wanted to move to somewhere else, and that was to be expected. And uh, and I, I we knew that. But overall, uh, I think it was a good town. And it was something that I uh, thought that was a, a really uh, important part of my life. It was uh, it was something that I enjoyed very much. It's quite different from what I was used to here in my community. But when, when I went there, I, I found that things could be better. So uh, for me, I, I I think it was it was okay. In fact, uh, when this residential school. Uh, thing came out not too long ago. I, I I talked on the radio here at the local radio to tell them our story uh, because it was quite different in terms of how we were probably better off with that arrangement. But anyways, uh, we were we, most of us were happy and and I think uh, a lot a lot went back. Uh, there was some that didn't go back, including myself. But I left early. It was a good a good town good people in there and I know a lot of it it was kind of it was a town like that where you got to know everybody very quickly so it was just like just like here so I still got lots of friends over there but at the same time I realized that uh, it was not something that you could always feel happy about we knew that something might happen you were taken away from from your parents, from the uh, protection, from the uh, love, from from the uh, care that you would, that you had right at your home. You were taken away from that. So I knew that there were negative areas that that I needed to get used to and and and, and, and adjust to. So it was kind of hard that way, and there were days where I. I still remember how how lonely I was, and I missed my my siblings quite a bit. There was ten of us in, in one house. I'm the oldest one, and I missed my parents and my grandparents and everybody else in the community. So in that way, it was hard. In a lot of ways, I was a, I was 15 years old, and I was at that age where I wanted to find out about more things and got interested in new things. So it was. Uh, it was like a, an exploration time for me in terms of what life is like out there. So it was good in that way. What was the community like to you guys 
when you lived in Stonewall? At that time, it was a small town. Like it was very small. Today, it's very big. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, small enough to actually feel like that we uh, there were similarities as to where we came from in terms of we had this, came from a small reserve and went to a small town and everybody knew each other. But uh, there were there were there were people that wanted to test us out. I guess uh, some things that that uh, the other the young people who were there wanted to uh, bring to us, and we a lot of people thought that we we didn't know much. I guess so. Right. But as yeah. we went along, we we the, the culture was very different, and uh, we were shocked. I guess uh, in a lot of ways too, culturally. But uh, there was also the fact that uh, the ever-present, what would I call it, the uh, superiority and inferiority type of thing, where people feel we're 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 inferior and they're superior. Yeah. That that, that was there. So, but we, uh, I think we we knew how to take care of ourselves in that way too. So. But uh, they, they they started to like us more after afterwards, and they took us right into into the town. I think we we became part of the town. That's the way I felt about it, anyways. And I was I was happy about that. Right. There are people that you came across there. Uh, some people would say outright racism, but I'm I, I'm one of those people, one of those native people that really have a hard time believing in. In racism, I'm not. Nobody's ever really come across to me and tell me I'm a, I'm not a good Indian. But anyways, I'm. We we saw a bit of that too. But that, yeah. that was that 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 went away. In fact, uh, one of the first things that I got invited to when I was there was to the to the football team because they looked the coach looked at me and said you're you're big enough to be on a football team. So it was. It was like that. It was uh, we, we we were act- we felt invited. So that was good. You're active in sports. Yeah, I I actually didn't get into the football because uh, the year before I broke my arm here at the Oxford House School here. But uh, because of that, I could I didn't get in. But I did get into the soccer and uh, basketball and the volleyball. In yeah. fact, I uh, in the end of the year I I did quite a bit of uh, the track and field, and I I was uh, a bit of a champion in that area. And, 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 Certain parts like uh, the uh, the uh, balding that, that yeah. was my specialty. It must have been a shock to the town when this incident happened. This tragedy happened. Have there have you ever gone back to Stonewall? Have you, as a community of Stonewall and your community, Bonaparte, have you made connections over the years? Okay, I uh, I have been fortunate enough to be. On the uh, band council of the First Nation here for many years. I just retired uh, this past year. One of the things that I did at uh, at that time with with that uh, authority with that, I that, that was only six years ago, I think it was, that I was able to gather up people that would sponsor some efforts that we were trying to make to to have the families revisit. Some of the things that they were been wondering about regarding that that unfortunate incident, 
Like I said, it was a it was a dark day, and, uh, and it took us a long time to to make sense of it and, and try to try to live uh, strong and and, and keep on strong and, and heal on right. it. And so one of the things that that I did was to put together a group of the people families to go down to Winnipeg and visit the site after 21 years actually, and. Uh, I was able to do that with the help of a, a former grand chief. We we took all the, the all the families down there, the two two members of each family. We took them to the site, right at the crash site, and we took them to the towns. They, there were six students from Stonewall and two students from Portage of Prairie, and uh, so the number is eight. Yeah, and then and then there was a pilot. There were nine that suffered. Yeah. Was there a nurse on that flight too? No, no, just no. the pilot and the students. Okay. And anyways, uh, maybe I should talk a little bit about why the, the things that, that happened that took us into the field of mistrust and and, and feeling of uh, broken. I think what we, were, what we saw was that these students were put on a plane that they should have never been. I mean, I don't know how they rate how they decide on which planes to use. But we know that when the plane, when the, when the engine went off, like when the engine, one side of the end, one side of the, of the plane, one side of the engine stopped, quit. They said that there is a procedure, if the pilot is aware of it, where it could still land with one prop going. And apparently this procedure was not used. So, it got to a point where people looked at it as somebody making a decision on using someone that I was not aware of this emergency procedure. So that could have been avoided. And the other thing we found out was that the plane was, uh, there was, there was this, the fueling up of the plane was not properly done. The, the wrong fuel was used. The age of the plane was also it was an old plane, and so there were there were there were facts here that that came to us that really um, broke up our feelings, quite shattered everything actually. So people were really hurt. I remember I was uh, I was out on the on the land actually that day. I was I was out on the me and my friends usually paddled out into, into the region here around our tra- traditional area for, for hunting and fishing. And that day we were out there about 20 miles out on another lake. I knew that they were going to be coming home on that day. And I knew, I thought that we were going to be seeing them later on that day and come home in the evening. But while we were there fishing in that lake, all of a sudden I started noticing that that there were planes coming in and out of Oxford House, planes from Island Lake, which is not far from here, and uh, other other community areas, and they were they were coming in and going out. And my friend and I started talking about that and saying there there seemed to be something happening. When we got back that evening, my my dad and his dad came down to the shoreline to meet us and told us there was a house right by where we, uh, along the shoreline where we came in. There was one of the, one of the students' house was right there. 
and there were people just crying. Just we could hear them. As I've said, as I told you, I think I told you that two of those people were my cousins. I went home, put away my stuff, and cleaned up, and then went over to my aunt's place. When I got there, my aunt was there, and she came up to me. And I'm going to do this in my in my beloved language here uh, on this part. Yeah, correct. <laughs> It was so hard. She came up to me and she said, The beloved, your cousin loved you very much. In our language, it's your brother. Your older brother loved you so yeah. much. Put her arms around me and held on to me, crying. And then he said, your, your, your uncle... The moment we heard of this news, he just fell on bed, and that's where he's been since. I've been, not been able to get up. I right into the evening, right into the night. That was enough. Relatives, friends, community people. It was hard. and There weren't that many people showing up because there were nine, eight places to go to. Right. And, you know... Everybody was trying to go to every every house, and you know, I was sitting there. My aunt fell asleep finally in the uh, bedroom, and and they had they had started flying. Uh, they had started flying in the uh, caskets, and it was uh, two caskets in there. They were they were metal actually. They were sealed. And while I was sitting there, I was all by myself. Everybody was sleeping. It was early in the morning. I sat uh probably three o'clock or at that time of the year it's early in the early in the morning it's daylight. And I was sitting there, he took a baby okay, two elders walked in, man and his wife. And they sat down and they started singing, singing this song. I still remember that song. It was a hymn. And all of a sudden my uncle walked out of the room. And he uh, he looked, he came up to the two caskets that were sitting there, and he uh, he asked me, he said, what, is, what does this say? What are these labels, he said. And I said, the labels say that we cannot open these caskets. They're sealed. The label said that you could not open the caskets? That's right. There was a red label, red and white label there that said that. And it, it, at that time, I remember thinking, why, why do they make these caskets look like this? I mean, when you do a, when you put away some a body, a loved one, the caskets should be looking really nice. But these were just metal with, with big locks on it, you know that yeah. on it, and it bothered me. And I and I and I can feel for my uncle looking at them, and all of a sudden he. Uh, he backed out and he walked into his uh, into his washroom. There's a washroom there on the side, and he walked into there. And all of a sudden, he walked out with a with a crowbar. And I didn't know what what I was going to do. 
he came up there, and uh, I didn't know what to say. Mama Scott and in then. And I know what was on his mind. He said, I have to see my children. So he lost two of his children? Yes, a daughter, a daughter and a son. An 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. So what did he do? Anyways, those two elders that were there, as I mentioned before, they had walked in. They were able to talk to him. They were able to change, make him change his mind. And I felt I would always be grateful to them that they were able to, to do that. So after that, the next day, there was this plane came coming in and out. And I was able to visit every, every one of those houses. And uh, it, was, it was the same everywhere. Everybody was crying in the whole community. It was very, very devastating. And there were going to be, and everybody knew, there were going to be uh, long-term impacts here. There were going to be things that we were going to have to do. And uh, one thing that we knew we had to do, which was always a very strong point for the community, and that's to support each other. And that was there. And the planes that were coming in and out, there were from people from all over the community. There was an exodus from other communities into Oxford House, and they they did uh, they did a lot of work. They did uh, the, the the grave digging. They they did the meals. They did everything. They they helped us here very quite a lot, and we we're very thankful for that. People from other communities. Yes, from Island Lake, Dodds Lake. Gods River, Gods Narrows, uh, Norway House. There are quite a few, and there are other people that came in from Winnipeg also, people that we knew. And there are people from Stonewall came in on a funeral day. There was a lot of people, uh, even people that, uh, even teachers from a long time ago. Uh, from grade, when I was in grade seven, I saw a teacher here. And, and there, there, were, there were quite a few people that showed up. Uh, and, and and that 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 was a very uh, a very strong thing for, uh, for for the support that we needed. It was, it was brought in from other communities, which was which was so good. It's good to hear that you got support from other communities, and it's good to hear that people from Stonewall came down to for the funeral. And this must have obviously impacted the whole community for uh, for many years. Has there been any kind of memorial or uh, healing programs established for families that were affected by this? No, uh, we, uh, we, we, what we did was uh, every year we'd have a service to bring all the families together every year until, until up to last year. I think uh, the, the family that's left, uh, the one parent that left didn't, didn't want that. But what they did was they uh, they renew the uh, the floral of the uh, the grave site. So we the community visited the grave site this year. That's where they held a prayer and some uh, singing and, and, and service. So we did that. But but we did uh, ask for. Uh, I was making an effort to to make a revisit with the families to the, to the site and. One of the things that we talked about was uh, maybe uh, installing or uh, 
or having some kind of a monument representing this incident somewhere. And uh, we talked to the people right at the site there where, where this happened. And uh, we didn't get too far with talking to the uh, to the council uh, in, in uh, Winnipeg. I was I, and I did talk to him on the phone. It was a Métis uh, councillor that was uh, on the council there in Winnipeg. Uh, there was so much there was too much complications, I guess. And yeah. So we weren't able to put anything up there. But you know, when when we went there. Only uh, six or seven years ago, when we went there, there was a lady that lived right a few a few houses down. That came out and said, "I was I was here at that time. I was, I'm still living here." And she said, "At that time, I was I was living here." And she said, "You know, uh, this spring, she said, not too long ago, there was a." There was a young man and a young lady that came here to come and look at this site, and I and I went to talk to them. She said, and 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 they were children of the pilot, oh. two children of the pilot. This pilot was from somewhere from BC. And apparently, his children came down the same year that we went down. They're only different days. Anyways, um, yeah, I'm I'm still hopeful that that we would be able to do something. In fact, uh, just before I left the council, I was trying to find out more about the uh, funding that was put aside in terms of the uh, the day school, the day school thing there, where there, there was some money set aside for prevention, of, prevention work. And I, I think that that also covers uh, commemoration. Yeah, it does. So I'm, I'm trying to put together a, a proposal to to do that yeah through there maybe it's something that we could uh, talk about later maybe we could help yeah, you that's, with that yeah I was just going to say that I was always thinking about you you guys when I started talking to you I kind of thought more and more about maybe maybe your program there could could have some information that we could use in order to push through this kind of this kind of a proposal mm-hmm. so we'll talk later yeah sure for sure yeah okay uh, I don't really have a lot of more questions, but I wanted to ask you one other thing, and that's uh, about Stonewall and where these students, you guys went to school. After this incident happened, this tragedy, did any students ever go back and to school there? No, that's one of the, they totally stopped sending students out anywhere after that. After okay. that incident, parents did not want to send anybody else. So, but what followed was that there was a, a humongous, a very strong effort to get a school built right here, right in the community, but to go up to grade 12. And that that ha- that that happened. Uh, the, the completion date of that school was in 1975, but actually the negotiation started right at 1972. And I had uh, I had started working for the First Nation in, in April of 1972. I was I was very young. I was 18 years old. But anyways, I I, I got involved with those negotiations as an interpreter for the chiefs that were in the region. But the, the region came together. The chiefs in the region, the Island Lake region, came together 
And I uh, acted as their interpreter on the meetings that they've had with the government trying to get the school. They talked about having a school in the region to, like a regional school, but that yeah. didn't work out in the end for Oxford House. They wanted their own school right at the community level, and, and that's how it turned out. In the end, uh, we didn't have to send anybody out uh, uh, right after that incident. Not right after, but a few years after. But in between, uh, it was very hard for anybody, for, uh, for the community, the parents, to send students out anywhere. Right. I don't blame them at all. I wouldn't either. So anyways, I mean, uh, some some of my friends that are at, at my age still talk about a time when they had they were hopeful to, to have been able to gone out to school, but weren't able to because of that. And, and, and uh, some people talk about that. I've been talking to Tommy Wienes from the Bunny Bee First Nation, Cree Nation, Northern Manitoba. Tommy is a former chief and counselor of his community. And he was one of the students that did attend school in Stonewall, but he was lucky. He was not part of this group that crashed and perished when the plane took off, left Winnipeg bound for their community at the end of the summer after attending school in Stonewall. I want to thank you, Tommy, for the time you've taken to talk to me and to share your thoughts and your feelings and what happened to eight of your colleagues. I'm sure it's been devastating. It's been a long road for your community to heal. And I wish you guys well. You are a beautiful people. I visited your community a few years ago and I was really impressed with the hospitality and how we were treated. I want to thank you again for you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Okay, thank you, everybody. Uh, hello to my friends and hello to everybody. Everything works. Thank you so much. Roots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.